morning, everybody. And uh, if I have not met you before, my name is David Smith. Anybody wake up at 5.30 this morning? A little bit of thunder. I was thinking of the marathon runners. When did, when did they start today? Does anybody know? 6.30? Okay, so they maybe missed. Well, no, then it rained again. So, no, they didn't miss anything. Uh, but, hey, before we get, uh, as we get going here today, I want to share with you just uh, something I'm struggling to adjust with. And, and maybe some of you can relate. And I recognize this is a first world problem. So just please hear me there. And the adjustment I'm struggling with is watching streaming TV series at home versus movies in the theaters. Now, you guys might be aware in the last like three to five years, movie studios have been pumping so much of their time, energy, and resources into streaming television series. Now, here's why I'm struggling to adjust. So if you've been watching anything that's streaming on TV, what you probably recognize is that a season is typically maybe six to eight to ten episodes. They play them once a week, and at the end of every episode, unless I'm just watching the wrong shows, it's always a cliffhanger. Like, they resolve nothing. And so you've got to wait another seven days until finally maybe you get a little bit of an answer, but then they leave you with another cliffhanger and another cliffhanger. And it just drives me insane. Am I the only one that wrestles with this? Looks like I am. Great. Thanks for the, the uh, leaving me up here naked. So anyway, Mike, just a little bit, not too much. Some shows. Yeah, well, 24, that was, yeah, that's right. I never watched it, but I know it was pretty, pretty tricky that way. But in movies, like in the theater, if you go watch something for two and a half hours, there's some sort of resolution typically at the end because you know it's not another two to three years before another sequel or another movie in that franchise comes out. My point being that with Song of Solomon this week, you could have struggled. That's what was hard about it, is that it left us with a complete cliffhanger. We had a bride and we had a groom that had a falling out. He knocks on the door, wants to come into the home, and she doesn't answer. She says, I've already taken my robe off. I don't want to get my feet dirty. You figure it out. And eventually she comes to it and she races to the door, and he's no longer there. And so we end chapter 5 with these two separated. Now, if you're brand new here today, have never stepped into North Star, I know what you may be thinking, streaming TV, cliffhangers, and Song of Solomon. How does it all connect? I really have no idea. I was just trying to open the story a little more light and friendly. But nonetheless, you could feel lost because I'm not going to do a huge recap of this series. Go back, watch episode number one, episode, hilarious, talk number one by Cody, and that will kind of catch you up to speed. Now, what I do want to update you on is last week, we looked at chapter five, and that's what it was all about. I just said it. The husband comes back home, knocks on the door. They're titled he and she, typically in your Bibles, and she isn't willing to get up. So he leaves, she goes to the door, and there's this great regret. And not only is there regret, she goes out into the streets searching she can't find him. And so she's lost without her husband, wondering if she's ever going to find him. Is she ever going to see him again? That's where we pick up today. Now let's remind ourselves, Song of Solomon is a collection of poems. But even though it's a collection of poems, I believe that there is an application that is so poignant to each and every one of us, no matter what stage of life that we're in, as it tackles some of the real world issues we're wrestling with today. And so my hope for this morning is that we're going to begin to discover how do we reconcile a relationship that feels distant, that 
feels lost, that feels out of hope. And I understand that that list could be hundreds and hundreds of things. Think about that for a moment. How do you reconcile a marriage? I mean, people write entire books on this. But today we're just going to try to highlight one element of reconciliation. And the reason why I want it to be this element is because it's one that typically kind of falls through the cracks. But if we don't have it, the entire foundation of our work and our pursuit to reconcile our marriages is going to fall apart. It cannot exist without this one thing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to pray as we get going. And I also want to share something with you. This is kind of a tangent, but I got an email yesterday from one of our partners in Africa. And they're having a conference with hundreds of people. And during this conference, they get a prophetic word, a word from the Lord for us in Loveland, Ohio, North Star. And so they sent it via email, and it was a little grim. The prophetic word was, there is blood that has stained America, and that North Star is to stand the gap and pray for our country. Not that we don't ever pray for our country, but it was also interesting to get that word, and then unfortunately see in the news today, there was another shooting in a mall down in Texas. And those two things immediately connected for me. And I feel like the Lord said, just take a moment today to pray for that. And how does this relate to you? Let me just throw something else out there. That the same enemy that was whispering lies into the person that went into that mall and wreaked havoc is the same enemy that's whispering in our ears right now. Now, he may not be whispering things of violence to you, but he wants to distract you. He wants to derail you. I believe that God has something for each and every one of us today, not because I'm the communicator or help prepare this talk, but it's because the enemy is relentless, but he's not creative. And he's using the same things over and over and over again. And so I just want to stand in the gap right now as a church, but also not just for the folks who are hurting right now, but for us to really hear what the Lord has for us today. So let's pray. So if you join me, Father, we just, we mourn over what has happened uh, down in Texas and all over our country as these things continue to happen over and over and over again. And so, Father, we just stand in the gap we say in the name of Jesus, would you silence any lies that the enemy is speaking to those who may be in a tough spot right now. They don't know how to cope, and he's whispering violence into their ears. And so would you come in and bring comfort, bring healing, but also bring deliverance of this shackle that just seems to be over our country that's leading to one act of violence to another. So we say in the power of the Spirit, stop right at the enemy. Stop doing what you're doing. In the same way we speak that out of this room, Father, we pray that anything that the enemy is doing to distract us from what you have for us today, I believe there is victory for so many of us in this room, watching online, and so Jesus, would you bring that? Would you push everything out of the way? Would you push everything in me that's getting in the way out, Father, so you and us can have an intimate connection with you? Amen. So today we move on to chapter 6. And so the bride, who we believe is a Shulamite bride, who has a relationship with King Solomon, she's got this group of friends, and she's gone to the friends at the end of chapter 5, and it said, I have lost my beloved. All right, I messed up. She repents, and they all go looking for him, and nobody has found him. And so the friends say to the bride, so where's your beloved? Have you found him yet? And as they ask her that question, something triggers in her mind. This is so hard to pick if you just breeze through the passage. But at the 
this moment she starts thinking, wait a minute, what about the garden? He loves going to the garden. That's probably the place he goes to, to retreat, to maybe refresh, replenish, whatever he's going through. And so she goes to the garden, and guess what? That's where he is. And so if I'm watching this on a TV or on a movie screen, just imagine it unfold. They spot each other 50 yards away. They've just had this night before where he's knocking on the door. She's not letting him in. Nothing but tension between them. And as they start getting closer, the question I'm thinking, who's going to speak first? Like, this is awkward. They're in the garden. They're starting to reconnect. Who's going to speak first? And for a lot of us, we may think, well, she needs to speak first. She needs to apologize. She needs to immediately say, hey, listen, I made a bunch of excuses. I delayed. I should have just opened the door. I should have got my feet dirty again. I'm sorry. But what fascinates me is that it's the groom that beats the bride to the first words. He says to her, and what's shocking is that he says these words after a night of being rejected and locked out, not of just the house, but locked out of her heart. Here's what he says to her. You are as beautiful as Terzah. Now, Terzah was the capital of Israel while it was divided. It was a divided kingdom, kind of interesting symbolism there. But it was a, a capital that was fit for a king. He says, my darling, you are as lovely as Jerusalem. I mean, to the Jews, that's the most beautiful city. This is a compliment. As majestic as troops with banners, turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Sixty queens there could be and 80 concubines and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. Now think about this language. The first words out of his mouth, he is serenading her with pleasantries. My dove, my beautiful one, my perfect one. And as an audience, we think, oh really? Okay. Beautiful, perfect dove? Didn't you just say that she has hair like goats and teeth like sheep? And then you go on to chapter 7. It says her neck is like an ivory tower. Her nose is like the temple of Lebanon. I mean, if this is literal language, here's what she looks like. Like not really something you want to take home to mom and dad. You can see the hair, the teeth. Fascinating. So praise the Lord. This is a book of poetry. But as he's saying this to her, to her here's what I notice. is how quickly the groom has forgiven her. And not only has he forgiven her, but what we see next is he's ready to take the next step. So get ready to blush. Here we go. He says, I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Whew, right? You guys feel that? He's saying what you're thinking he's saying. He's saying, I am ready for physical intimacy with you. And what she says to him is, I'm ready as well. If only it was that easy, right? Just immediate agreement. She says, may the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Spend the night. 
not to play a game of Rummy Cube or Connect Four, but let's go to the villages and spend this night enjoying the gift of physical intimacy the Lord has given us. And I think this would be a good time to hit the brakes and just remind ourselves. Just ask this question, when is the last time, if you're married, that you and your spouse got away? No kids, no other friends, no phone, no work, and just got away to enjoy all the gifts that God has given you in your marriage. It's not a shame, it's not condemning, but for all of us, including me, to ask, when was that last time? And so physical intimacy is used here as a sign that this couple, at this moment, they are reconciled. See, sex is a necessary ingredient for any healthy, restored marriage. And what I will hear from time to time is people say, hey, our marriage is fine, we're just not physically intimate. And to that I would say, well, no, you're not fine. You're actually outside of God's will. Because when God gives us a gift, even this gift of intimacy, it's not meant to be put on a shelf and collect dust. Now, I want to have tons of grace here today because there's some of us that are listening to this and you're immediately beginning to feel shame. There's some of us with unique struggles right now. And those struggles may be age, stage of life, maybe illness, maybe trauma. And so therefore, in your marriage, that kind of intimacy that reaches the top of the spectrum, that may not be happening right now. And I want to go back to what Beth shared a few weeks ago. She talked about this box. And the idea is that this box is our physical intimacy experience with our spouse. And so right now, your box may be small. There may be trauma. There may be illness. Who knows what it may be? But what I encourage you is to remember there's still hand-holding. There's still kissing. There's still holding. And so for some of us here today, the idea of expanding our box may be saying, you know what, for the first time in 10 years, we're going to go take a walk and we're going to hold hands. That's still physical intimacy. That's moving the right direction. The idea is that are we being intentional to expand that box wherever you are today? I'm not asking you to go home and jump from here to here, but what's a small step you can start taking today? This is not easy stuff. We've been showing you this email address every single week. If you're feeling stuck, you need someone to talk to. We're going to counseling, but it's too expensive. All that stuff we can help with. But just send an email, a request at golovelive.com, and we will start the conversation. And so what's so amazing to me is that God loves us so much. Think about this. He created our act of reproduction to also be an act of pleasure, intimacy, and worship. Because every time we're nourishing and cultivating this gift he's given us, we're saying, thank you, Lord. We value and appreciate the gift you have given us. But here's something else I noticed with this passage. Because not only was the groom immediately willing to forgive the bride, but he also has this immediate desire to be physically intimate with her. And if you're reading it, a thought that somebody could immediately have is, okay, so he obviously has a high sex drive. I don't mean to be crude here, but that's kind of the language we, we use in our world today. His drive is high, hers is low, or hers is high, and his is low. And we go around and we label people that way, especially like if they're doing premarital ministry or they're having troubles. Those are labels we stick on people. And I want to encourage you, 
to never use that label again. It actually can be con very confusing and extremely destructive to a marriage because what you're saying right away is you're high, you're low, it's not compatible, and therefore it's just not going to work. I can't tell you how many people I know they've gotten divorced because the conversation started, yep, there's high, there's low, and we're just not compatible. I guess it's not going to work. And so what recent research would tell you, instead of having that conversation, what is so much more useful and helpful to reconciliation is to talk about desire. Not drive, but understanding desire. And this article will go on, and this has really gained steam, and a lot of people, this is how they communicate now. Now let's talk about understanding desire. When it comes to two top desires, there's spontaneous and there's responsive. And so a spontaneous desire says, I am ready right away. I can go from zero to 60 in a matter of a wink of an eye. Like I'm good to go. But responsive says, I need a little bit longer of a path to get there. I need to connect emotionally, relationally, maybe even spiritually before physical intimacy. And so neither is right or wrong, just two different paths to get there. Now for me, and I'm sure for my kids in the room, they're gonna love to hear this. Like I'm spontaneous, right? So what that means is that I can come home from a horrible day of work. You guys have all just driven me insane. Nothing's gone well. I've got a head cold, snot coming down my nose. And I get home late too, it's like six o'clock. And I walk into the kitchen and there's my wife. And she's got a glass of wine. Even though I've never felt worse in my life, I immediately start thinking, oh my goodness, she's thinking the same thing I'm thinking. That's why there's a glass of wine right there. And so all of a sudden I start walking over to her suggesting, hey, I see where you're going. I am totally in. She looks at me with a blank look at her face and says, this is a glass of lemonade. All the other cups were dirty, so a wine glass is all we had. And so as I hear that, it is like somebody has just canceled Christmas morning. Like I, I just, because what happens, not just with spontaneous, but can happen with men. I'm sorry, ladies, I didn't do a bunch of research on you guys, but for this week, knowing that we're gonna share a little bit more of the male perspective, what I researched is that men will typically feel they're most secure, they're most loved, and they're most safe after physical. My daughter's running out of the room right now. I'm sorry, I just thought that was, see ya, Emma. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> she did, she just ran out of the door. <laughs> we talk all this stuff, it's okay. But you'll actually feel you're most secure after physical intimacy. And so in that moment there with the wine glass, the reason why it feels like a Christmas morning got canceled, because I'm having a bad day, or maybe I had a bad week, or maybe you've had a bad couple of years. And what you're thinking to yourself, if I can get to that place of ultimate security, comfort, and rest from a feeling standpoint, wouldn't you wanna be there? And so I'm not saying give a pass to all those who are spontaneous. No, 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 not at all. But keep that in mind. Sometimes that's how men, just men specifically, stereotypically, can feel. And not all men are spontaneous, but the research was done. That's how men feel. You've robbed them of the opportunity to feel the most secure 
that they're going to feel over anything else. And so for me, I'm a little more spontaneous. Emily said I can say this. She's more responsive. And so for her, she needs us to connect emotionally first, relationally. Maybe it's a walk around the neighborhood. Maybe it's connecting in a bunch of different ways. But that can't be first. Neither is right. Neither is wrong. But what it says is that somehow we have to meet in the middle. And so if you're married, the conversation I would love for you to have is just to say, so when it comes to desire, what side do you think you're more on? Spontaneous or responsive? And just start the conversation that way. And what I want us to, to really grasp is that if you're not spontaneous, don't look at those folks as if they're just a bunch of dogs chasing after me. That may not be, it may be the case, but you know, it doesn't have to be the case. So have some grace, listen, and know that's just how they understand desire. And for those who are responsive, on the other end, don't just think they despise sex. That's probably not the case. It's just a longer path to get there. And I know that is a huge tangent, but that's something that I thought watching the story unfold and how quickly this groom was able to say, I forgive you and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to connect this way. But I don't want to give any more attention to this. And here's why. Because today's topic is about reconciliation. And reconciliation, it's so much more than physical intimacy. For any of us to leave today and go, oh yeah, I heard David, all I have to do is start being physically intimate and all of a sudden our relationship will be restored. That's not the case. It's a part of it. It's an important part, but there's so much more. If we want true reconciliation to happen, we need to be honest. It's a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of time. And a lot of that hard work we don't always want to do. It's like gardening. It takes patience. It takes perseverance as we cultivate the soil and cultivate the seed. And so what I want to do right now with the, with the rest of our time is I'm going to invite two friends of mine up here. And here's a little bit of their story is that they're in the middle of a separation. They've been separated for a year and a half. But their desire for reconciliation has never wavered. They've been committed. They've done the work. But they're in the middle of the story right now. And so what they're going to share is going to be raw. It's going to be honest. It's going to be scary for them to be up here. Because even though they're working toward reconciliation, there's a lot more work to be done. But they agreed that they'd come up and share. And I wanted them to come up. Because I think for a lot of us, we may be in this place of the story. And my hope is wherever you're at, again, whether you're married or not, you can get some inspiration from their testimony. Um, because even though they desire reconciliation and they're moving toward it, there's still a little bit of ways to go. So please join me in welcoming up Tim and Judan McKillaway. Now, it is time number two, so maybe a little bit easier, um, but here's how I want to start. Tim, let me ask, just, just to give us a little bit of a layout of a little more of your guys' story and how long have you been married and how long has the struggle been going? Sure. Judean and I have been married for 23 years, um, separated for the last year and a half, and um, the struggle has been pretty long. The truth is, is that uh, it's been slow fade for probably 20 years. I have a job that's really stressful, had me traveling uh, a lot, and um, and with that stress, I would come home and I would disconnect. I would look to numb myself with things like YouTube and uh, even distracting myself sometimes with ministry. Um, 
and, uh, and I realized I was giving the best of myself to others. And um, it was really tough in the beginning. In the beginning, uh, oh, of course, there's a lot of emotions, right? Um, there were several nights I slept in my car, um, and uh, let alone the financial burden of um, now trying to support um, two households and finding a place to live and coming to grips with, with, with the whole situation. Um, so I got distracted from the things that were most important to me outside of God, um, and uh, it was it was very difficult. And like I said, all that stress coming in um, that led to resentment between us. That resentment led to anger, and and honestly, that anger um, was something I couldn't control at times. I I was really stressed out, and it would it would be explosive. And I realized I had to come to terms with that and and get help. Reconciliation means to repair or restore a relationship. But for me, there was so much baggage, so many hurts that I was carrying around quite literally. I had four typed pages of very huge hurts that I had been carrying around for over two years, waiting for someone to help me through them. We had seen marriage counselors, family counselors, and individual counselors, yet I still had a ton of baggage that prevented me from moving forward. I was stuck in the past. Just a few weeks ago, I was complaining to my individual counselor, who is also a pastor at a local church. Um, I was complaining about a disaster of a session with the marriage counselor. I asked him, how am I ever supposed to deal with all these hurts? His reply was simple. Are you ready? Okay. You have to ask yourself two things. When are you going to forgive yourself? And when are you going to forgive Tim? That was a very dramatic moment for me. I'm sure that he had talked to me about forgiveness before, but it hit me like a ton of bricks that day. So I went home and I got rid of my list and made the decision to forgive Tim for everything in the past and to make a commitment to address each problem as it comes up and not leave things unspoken where they only caused us resentment. Tim, how about you? What does that word reconciliation mean? Well, reconciliation to me was first realizing that um, that I had to make the commitment to improve myself and to dive deep into God's mercy for me. Um, also, as I was going through this journey, trying to um, you know sort out what my feelings were and so on, it was difficult with listening to some family members and even some counselors who even just recommended divorce. Just it's it's too much work. Just um, you know, you're going to be better off. Um, you have some health things, Tim. You're going to die, and you know, just seek to you know make it easy on yourself. So it really was coming to grips with that. And a friend from North Star here, David Akimbo, mentioned to me. He's like, "Listen, you have to realize that this is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. It's not. Um, uh, Judean is not my enemy. That it was Satan that was looking to break us up, and that we needed to fight for that. So the reconciliation part was diving deep." for forgiveness for myself from God, and then also um, holding on to um, my commitment of doing the work so I didn't uh, repeat past behaviors. And I had realized I had used up all the I'm sorry's. There was none left to give. Um, it, the only thing that would help was real change. 
this has been a difficult season. You guys have already mapped that out. I think probably what we're all wondering, I know for me this was a very important question to have you guys answer. Amidst all the pain, how do you keep moving forward? How is that even possible? You're about a year and a half in, as Tim, you said, it was kind of rocky for years and years before then, but you still have hope. How is that for you? Even though it's been painful, I continue because I truly believe God chose us for each other. It's been a very hard and painful road, but I believe it's worth it. Jesus is my strength, and there is a lot of praying going on. I also found that it's important to surround myself with other Christians because the secular world is always going to tell you that it isn't worth it or to just give up and take care of yourself. When I look back over the past two years, I can see God's fingerprints everywhere fighting for us to stay together from the people he put in our paths events that unfolded scripture verses to a perfectly timed song on the radio Tim how about you what, what is it that keeps you moving forward and hoping well first it's the trust in the promises of, of Christ that that um, that the vision that he gave me for our marriage one of, of uh, beauty one of intimacy one of deep love and commitment was not mistake and um, and the realization of that that he has brought us this far and he will take us through to the end and this time of separation was one of physical separation between us but not from God so the the reality is is that we both doubled down on our faith and certainly if we hadn't done that we wouldn't be sitting in front of all these nice people with the recording to exist for all time yes, so yeah. yes I love what, Tim, I love what you said there at the end, the double down. Like, we, we all totally believe in the clinical help of counseling and all those type of skills and tools. But to double down on the faith, um, I think so so often it ends up with a back uh, the, the second thing, the third thing we're looking for. But uh, let, let's, let me pray for you guys. We'll uh, wrap this part up. Lord, thank you so much for Tim and Joanne and just for their heart to come up here and share and yeah I'm just struck with the whole doubling down Lord would you help us all double down more and more into our relationship with you Lord that you are the great healer we already were singing about that this morning worshiping you as Jesus the healer and so thank you for the healing you're doing in their marriage and Father we just pray that you continue to do that work in a way that not only blesses them but pours out into everyone who's listening to this here today and Father you round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Cody. So, here's the thing. We said this last week. I want to make sure we say it again. If Jesus can return from death, then surely he can restore our marriages back to life. If you think about the weight and the magnitude of the resurrection, of course, he can heal our relationships. Turn from death, he can restore our marriages back to life. But here's the thing there's a role that we have to play. And that's what I love about Jesus. He says, I can sweep in, I can do it all, but he uses us in the process of healing to grow us, to shape us, to create community. What Tim and Judan did here is God could have swept in and said, Let's just take care of it all right now. But look at the blessing that comes when community 
rallies around one another and says, let's be honest, let's be open, and let's do this together. And so if reconciliation is going to happen, the thing that it's going to require from us is resolve. That's a big, big part of the equation. We see this with the bride. We talked about the last few weeks, chapters 5 through 7. The bride is willing to do whatever it takes to be reconciled with her groom. She repents. She says, I'm faint with love. I should have got up from the bed. And then she goes out and she searches for him. And she gets beat up and battered unfairly, but continues, I'm going to find him no matter what. And then notice when she does find him, we talked about this today, she finds the groom in the garden. Not on the battleground, not in the playground, but she finds him in a garden. And that is maybe the most important, the most intentional thing, I think, of this passage. Because whether it's the garden you've got in the backyard, the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Gethsemane, all gardens need cultivating if the fruit is going to grow. It takes a lot of work with soil and seed, and if you skip one step, nothing's going to come from the garden. Nothing's going to grow, and there's going to be zero harvest for us to enjoy and experience. And it's the same with marriage. There is no reconciliation without resolve got to do the work. We've got to cultivate the soil and the seed. We can't skip a step. There is no reconciliation without resolve. We even see this in the life of Jesus, his resolve on the cross to reconcile us to God. Jesus could have popped the nails off, jumped down from the cross and said, you know what, we'll figure this out some other way. But he stays on the cross. He resolves to reconcile you and I to our loving, eternal Father died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again to offer us eternal life. And if you have not received that gift, there's going to be prayer teams up here that would love to tell you more, would love to pray with you today. There are so many things that we need to reconcile a marriage. The list could be hundreds and hundreds. People write entire books about it. But today I decided, let's just highlight one. One thing that we need for reconciliation. There's a hundred, but just highlight one. And that thing that we've highlighted is resolve. Because without resolve, without the willingness to do the work, without the willingness to cultivate the soil, without the willingness to pray and to live and to love like Jesus, nothing in our marriage is going to grow. It's just not going to happen. But with it, the vineyard can bloom again. But with it, with the resolve, with the willingness to make Jesus the priority and to do the work he's laid before us, knows what the harvest may be. So let's stand. We're going to close with the response of communion and prayer. And we're getting down a little early today. we got some extra time. And I'd love for the prayer teams to come up. If you want to take communion today, we are reminded about the, the resolve that Jesus had to reconcile us to God, representing the body that was broken with the crackers and the blood that was poured out, represented by the juice. But then with our prayer teams up here, here's what I want to encourage you, is that we can actually start exercising resolve right now. Righteous resolve to say, we're going to do the work of Jesus. And the easiest way you can do work this morning is just come receive prayer. Because the most important work that we do as followers of Jesus is inviting God to work on us. Does that make sense? It's not just the work at the care center on Saturday mornings or serving here on Sunday. The most important work you can do as a follower of Jesus, is invite God to do work on you. That's why every single Sunday we have these prayer teams down here because we're ready 
to do the work. And so let's pray and let's move into our time of worship. Father, we love you. We thank you. We know ultimately without you, none of this work is going to amount to anything. So as we exercise resolve right now, let us keep our eyes on the one who brings reconciliation, on the one who resurrected from the grave, from the one who resolved for us on the cross to bring us into eternal life, who the grave could not hold down. I'm just thinking of what, what Casey shared during the prophetic word, the power of coming to you in a moment of worship, laying it all at your feet. Father, let that be our posture right here, right now. Father, help us to see the beauty and the work of inviting you to work on us. We thank you that you're always open for that, that it brings you joy, that we're your beloved. Father, break off chains reconciliation, healing in this time. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you feel ready, come up, take communion, receive prayer. Let's worship.